Welcome and thank you for joining us. At Worship Harvest, we believe that we are a movement of the gospel, discipleship, and mission. And we are committed to catalyzing spiritual, social, and economic renewal in our immediate communities, and as a result, the world. Here is this week's teaching. I know we are, this is blessed to be a blessing seven. Uh, we've been going for a long time talking about blessed to be a blessing. And we've been really focusing on finances, personal financial disciplines, generosity, because we all want to bless people, but you know, it's hard to bless people when you're broke. How many of you know that? Yeah. You need resources to be a blessing. You need resources to be a blessing. And to be a blessing, those resources have to be acquired, managed. What's the other word? Developed until you can be a great blessing. And last week we were talking about work and the value of work. Wow. This is incredible. Thank you. I'm sure our excellent team is working around the clock to remove the cells of medicine. Just making sure that mic is off so that we are not getting feedback from it. And today I want us to talk about saving to invest. Saving to invest. We are not talking about saving for a rainy day. We are talking about saving to invest. Tell your phone, phone. For now, I'm done with you. Yeah. Because I'm about to get into the word of the Lord. That's going to bear fruit a hundredfold. So saving to invest. You quickly discover that the money you spend, you can't grow it. Hmm? Once money leaves you, it is out of your control. It goes to someone else, and the person that it goes to is the person growing, not you. It's, it's obvious. If you pour water from one cup to another, the volume in the cup you're pouring from doesn't increase. It increases elsewhere, not where you're pouring from. Are you with me? So, if you're going to grow wealthy, which you should, as a worship harvest person, we are known as the church of wealthy people, so you need to quickly catch up to that uh, declaration by many people, in case the wealth is not yet manifesting at yours. And I'm here to show you a few things you can do to, to do that. One, we talked about work. Uh, and there are three ways to get money. Either you inherit it, or you marry into it, or you work for it. And looking around, I'm seeing that for 99% of us, it's going to be the third option. <laughs> Yeah, option two is no longer available for some of you. Yeah, so we're going to work for it. Now, it's not enough to make money. If you make one million shillings a month and you spend one million shillings a month, the balance is how much? Zero. Zero means you're not growing your net worth. If you make 10 million shillings a month, and you spend 10 million shillings a month, the balance is zero. So there is no difference between those who make 1 million and those who make 10 million, as long as they are both not saving. Are you following? If you make 3 million shillings a month, and you save 600,000 a month, the balance is how much? 600,000. 
Okay, if you make 3 million and you spend 2.4, what's the balance? If you save that monthly, at the end of the year, you will have how much? 7.2 million. Am I making sense? Now, that's a person who makes 3 million. If you'd make 10 million, that's more than three times a month. If you make 10 million a month and you spend 11 million, <laughs> just look straight as if I'm not talking about you. If you make 10 million and you spend 11 million, the balance at the end of the month is how much? Minus one. It's called a debt. That's why some people are in debt, even though they make a lot of money. Now, when you multiply that by 12, at the end of the year, you have negative 12 million. Now, the person who is making 3 million has 7.2. You who makes more money than him, you have negative 12. Now, if the person with the 7.2 invests the money cons consistently with interest, it's going to grow exponentially. You who has debt, as you keep paying debt with interest, I will not push the matter any further, but you get the drift. So, here is what you should take out of today's message. It's not the amount you make. It's the amount you save and invest. Mm. That's why you have corporates who are deep in debt and the drivers who are assigned to drive them at their offices have houses and rental income and chicken farms and goats and everything. But for them, they are paying loans because you are living a lifestyle that is past your current income. Genesis 41, it's a long text, verses 17 to 41. So you're going to cooperate with me a little bit in terms of reading. Are you with me? This is several years ago, long before you came on the scene. Uh -huh, together. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I stood on the bank of the river. Suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then, behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such ugliness as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the gaunt and ugly cows ate up the first seven, the fat cows. When they had eaten them up, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were just as ugly as at the beginning, so I awoke. That's Pharaoh dreaming. Huh? Are you following? Now, one of the things about being a king is that when you dream, huh? you bother other people with your dreams. Come and give me interpretation. <laughs> Let's continue. Also, I saw in my dream, and suddenly seven heads came up on one stock, full and good. You guys, are you reading English or not? I can't hear you. Then behold, seven heads withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind sprang up after them. And the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. So I told this to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Now, before even I continue, this, this is about economics. Yeah, in case you're thinking we are talking cows, this is not agriculture, this is economics. You understand? This story is about economics. And like Pharaoh said, he had told the dream to the magicians but they could not solve the problem. Some of you are in deep economic uh, stuff because of all the economic magicians you think can solve your problems. <laughs> and God is here to give you some wisdom. 
So you stop operating with the magicians. That's why you have things like credit default swaps, uh, collateralized debt obligations, and other magical sounding things. And after you had put your money, you discovered you were broke. Next. This is about economics. So Joseph is explaining. He says, the seven good cows are seven years. And the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. And the seven thin and ugly cows which came after, after them are seven years. And the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I've spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Are you still with me? That's verse 28. Verse 29. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, seven years of famine will arise and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt and the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now let me explain what part by part. I told you it's about economics. So you have seven great years of abundance, mm, bumper harvest, surplus, hey, plenty. And then after that, seven years of kayasi. Do you ever heard of the word kayasi? Depending on where you went to boarding school, this is like the first week after visiting day. <laughs> after seven years of plenty. And then there's three weeks. You know, in boarding school, the division wasn't accurate. It wasn't seven and seven. It's like visitation is on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. People are not even going to the dining. Then the next three weeks, Kawunga, the, 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 the food in, in it just gains certain value. One time, we were at Mwiri Primary School. I had a friend called Nakangu. So we were walking on the football field in the after class. And Nakangu seemed to be munching on something. He was eating something. That, that part of the term, no one was supposed to be eating anything outside the dining hall. So I'm like, Nakangu. Moreover, he wasn't. You know, there, there's some grub where you find someone is pressing the jaw and the top of the head to crack it. So you can explain why it still exists in certain circumstances. So, but he was eating casually. I'm like, no one on this compound can have groundnuts at this time of the term. So I ask, what's going on? He's like, hey, you don't know. So apparently some very clever boys, what they would do at lunchtime, they would eat the posho and the soup. <laughs> and preserve the beans. As late afternoon snack. That's Nakangu's rather, you know, quiet snack. Some of you are wondering what I'm talking about. You just know sausages, chips, what? Gosh. But he said that the, the, the famine is going to be such that you will forget there was ever a time of plenty. 
Yeah. Now, let I'm going to apply as we read because I believe that we'll get the most benefit that way. Let's say now most people in worship harvest when I hear them speak, they want to live 120 years. So I'm going to round off, round off to 100 for mathematical purposes, strictly mathematical purposes. Okay? So let's say you are stretching for 100 years of life on earth. Yeah? The, I'm talking economics. Eh? The first 20 are for preparation. Kindergarten, primary, secondary, by the time you hit university, you've started being an economic operative. You know a thing or two on how to make money. So the first 20 years are potea, economically speaking. Yeah? Now we are working with 80 years. Are you following the story? Are you following? You need to follow because I'm talking about you. You're now working with 80 years. Now of your 80 remaining years, the first 40, age 20 to age 60, represent the seven years of plenty. You get up every morning and you are full of ideas, this hustle, that thing, the other one. You're making money every day. Some of you who are wise, some others, they wait a whole month to make money. But anyway, either way, you're making money. Are you following? So you make money, you make money, you make money, make money, 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 money. Then, from around age 60, or 65, or 70, for those who are gunning for 120, you could do 20 to 70, and then 70 to 120. Hmm? You do 50-50. That season of, I'm going to use a, a, a very important word, which you need to hear, potential scarcity kicks in. It shouldn't necessarily be a season of scarcity, but it can be potentially a season of scarcity. Because that's when you retire from your active work, you're given your gratuity, you go to NSSF, they give you your forced savings. Some people, usually all they have is NSSF because you were forced to save it. They forced your employer to, to save for you. And you are complaining every day. Now when you're retiring, that's when it hits you. Oh, this is the only money I have. That's why there's a lot of efforts to help to get people to dip their hands into their NSSF money even before. I don't work for NSSF for clarity. So, two, two economic seasons. The season of abundance, where you're working. Money is reward for solving problems. You solve problems, you're paid. And then the season of potential scarcity, where you're not working. Because when you're 80 years old, you can't be applying for that entry-level job. But the bank is looking for tellers. You also put your application. Then when they invite, they don't even invite you for the first interview. They just look at the age. Maybe they are, I think Miss Roth should be 18. Then, then you show up. It's your suit. Musei totally. And people are like, we can't handle this one. You're, you know, at that age, let me tell you the truth, you're complicated. You're complicated. You have what the Baganda call ntondo. Only complicated. You want things a certain way. What? Now, you can't, you can't fit in. You know, there are new technology, everything. You people, they are talking about other things. You're talking about floppy disks. You know? CDs. You know, by the time you're 80, CDs will be like the way you know. Some of you don't even know what cassette tapes look like. Gloria, yeah. Pass me the tape. Tape? Measuring tape? What? Silo tape. So your economic life is divided into two seasons. The season of plenty and the season of potential scarcity. Now you, 
you neglect what I'm teaching right now at your own risk. So don't. Now, what makes the second season not be a season of scarcity is when you have assets that produce cash flow or what we call passive income. When your assets start working for you. When your assets are working for you. When you have all these investments all over the place. Houses, that's commercial property. Uh, mutual funds, you know, all sorts of financial instruments, investments into different companies where you are not working. And then that money is what sustains you for the last, the latter 40 to 50 years of your life. Am I making sense? Now, let me cut to the chest and I'll come back. Huh? I'm teaching this forward and backwards, forwards and backwards. What happens is that when you do not have the investments, when you do not have the cash flow, the seven years of scarcity, which in this case are not seven, kick in big time. You're believing God for a hundred years, you stop bringing in money at 60, there is 40 years to go. Maybe you only have enough money for five years. After five years, you've sold all your little, little assets, and now you're totally out of money. So now, what do people do at that stage? They start depending on their children. And I'm not talking about principle of honor where children are willingly honoring. No, this is now dependence. If they don't do anything, we are cooked. Now, remember... I decided to bring this point forward in case someone starts dozing before I go back. Remember, the ideal is that a good man leaves an inheritance for children's children. Hmm? Pastor Flo, come. And with Pastor Angie, let's try an illustration here. this is my daughter this is my granddaughter <laughs> wow and now the, ideally the bible says a, a good man if I'm a good man and if you're a Christian you should be a good man in other words you should be sufficient you're good there by the way it's not just good of character yeah, good is an economic term, but I don't have time to explain it today. <laughs> like, if you're going to borrow money, they need to know that you are good. You have capacity to pay it back, yeah. Yeah, that's why the things you buy are called goods. So when they say he's a good man in business, when they say he's a good man, don't think they are talking about how you love, you love your children and wife. No. When they say he's a good man, it means he has economic capacity. Yeah. So a good man <laughs> leaves an inheritance for his children's children. In other words, you leave enough money behind, you leave behind cash flow producing assets that make money for your children and their children. They can go across generations. Why? Because they are cash flow producing assets. For them to survive, they don't need to sell them. They just need to manage them. Am I making sense? Now, when you have not done the wisdom that we are going to observe later, I've decided by going to the answer first, then we come back and work the problem, like how we used to do mathematics in A-level. A you start with the answer, and then you work the problem. Mechanics, 
Yeah? Now, when you don't do the things I'm going to tell you to do today, and the seven years of scarcity come upon you, and they are not seven, they are like 40 to 50. Instead of you leaving behind an inheritance for children's children, the situation is not even neutral. Now you start eating the future. Because if she has to take care of me, she's using money that she should have left for her to take care of Jaja. Because Jaja did not understand the story from Egypt. So when you don't take care of your economics, it's not a neutral situation. You're destroying future generations literally by not taking care of what I'm telling you today. Every time your child is taking care of you, the money they are using is the one they should have left for your grandchildren and their grandchildren. Now it's all going into history. You are, they are throwing money into a, a, a pit called history. You. Are you understanding? So he's preaching good. So, what happens? Then, if you are righteous and you know what you're doing, that you're destroying your children and grandchildren, then you get stressed. And then your immunity goes down. And then those diseases kick in. That usually kick in when people have retired. If the person has been okay every day, they go to work, they go to the bar, they have a, a work car, a work phone, a work what, what, what. Then when the job is taken away, their, their health just suddenly dips. Why? You are conscious of the fact that you are destroying the future. And then all your friends are gone. Because you think you had friends. And there we are. Please, you can have daughter and grandchildren. You can come here. I have discovered that most people who are involved in the formal sector, not most, many people, especially men, because traditionally in Uganda it was men who were majorly involved in the formal sector. Many men who are involved in the formal sector die two to five years after retirement. Yes, two to five years after retirement. Even as I talk now, you know a person in your extended family who fits this description. Why? Because whereas they are believing God to go to 100, they are out of resources. When you're out of resources, either you're going to depend on someone else's resources or you go to heaven. It's only one of two options. But you can do something about it. And I'm going to show you what you can do about it. Are you ready to listen now? Verse 33. Verse 33. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh, we were reading together before I gave you the example. Together. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. That's the first thing. You need to start with wisdom. Joseph is telling Pharaoh, there is a, an economic situation coming and the way to deal with it is to get a wise person. Wise people deal with economic scenarios ahead of time. Unwise people react to economic situations. The Bible says that the crown of the, of the wise is their riches. Can you find me that verse? 
The crown of the wise is their riches, but the foolishness of fools is folly. People who cannot build up wealth are not wise. They are something else. Are you following? Are there going to be wise people all over this place afterwards? Yeah. The crown of the wise is their riches. You find a person who has built a business, who has built up investments, and they are worth some serious money, just take it for granted they are wiser than you. Unless you have more than them. Bible says there is desirable treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise. There is desirable treasure, Proverbs 2.120, and oil. Desirable treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man squanders it. So Joseph tells Pharaoh, let Pharaoh get a wise and discerning man. And in this case, woman. Hmm? And set him over the land of Egypt. I'm going to show you later that it's those who deal with the economic question that deserve to lead in other areas. What should they do? Verse 34. Verse 34. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land in, of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. And that food shall be as a reserve for the land of for the seven years of famine which have been the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. The wise people, what do they do? They should take what percentage? What, 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 what fraction? A fifth. How much is a fifth? 20%. 20%. Only 20% of your income saved and invested will save you in the potential the potential years of scarcity just 20% now if you are 30 and you haven't started you can't do 20% you have to do higher than 20% because you already lost 10 years if you are 40 we need the Lord Are you following? This is real economics. For now, now, now. So it says, one fifth, one fifth will save the land. Now you ask yourself, how is that possible? If you are consuming 80% for seven years, how can 20% carry you through seven years? That's why it's about economics, not about agriculture and seven years and whatever it is. Are you following? Yeah, 20% invested with a good return on investment will take you through your years casually. Casually. You will never be in want. Hey. I worked it out that if a person tithes 10% and saves and invests 20% at a very low return on investment of 12% per annum. Hmm? Remember there are mutual funds around that will give you 11%. At 12% per annum, you need only 17 years to be financially free. 17. Like in the 17th year, 
your investment that gives you 12% will be paying you more money than your boss pays you on a monthly basis. And so you'll never need to work again. If you hold on for a few more years from year 17 to year 20, your investment will be paying you one and a half times what your job pays you. If you go to year 30, your investment will be paying you uh, year 25, five times. Year 30, 10 times what your job pays. Yeah. At, one, at 12%, 12%, all factors remaining constant. I have done all these iterations and cultures, they're all on my computer. Twelve percent, seventeen years. Now you're here saying, "Yes, seventeen is a long time." There are people here who have been working for longer than seventeen years, and their investments don't pay them what their boss pays them. So you'd better start yesterday. Are you with me? Mm. Uh, are you with me? Mm. You know, if only ten thousand of us. You know, there are about 20,000 of us in Washpavis growing, but 10,000 are children and, and teens. But if 10,000 of the adults, if we all built up our net worth to only 1 billion shillings, we would be, we would be managing 10 trillion shillings collectively. Yeah, collectively. But it takes wise and discerning men and women and look, it's so simple. It's only 20%. You can live on 70% of your income. There is no amount of money you'll ever get to and not need more money to live. Because me, I make only 500K. If you make 500K, that 20% is 100,000. No excuses. Otherwise, that's the other seven years are coming. And I'm going to show you the results. But let's first finish this part. So the advice, verse 37, was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this? A man in whom is the Spirit of God. It takes the Holy Spirit to solve economic problems especially those of a national nature, including what we are going through as a nation. You can do your research and find out of all our budget how much money that you pay in your taxes goes to servicing debt interest, national debt interest. The money that goes to servicing interest for the nation, debts we have got, is more than the money that is given to any single department in the, in the government. No single ministry gets more money than the money that goes to servicing debt. Not even the Ministry of Defense. It's, it's all online, so go find it, because there are some of you who swear by debt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, in as much as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. Verse 40. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. The people who solve the economic problems are set over everything else. Mm. In places where there is wisdom. Yeah, never get a person who cannot figure out their money and put them in charge of something significant. If they can't figure out their money, it means they are not wise. And you, my friend, you are not wiser than God. In the Old Testament, 
There is not a single man of God who was broke. God seemingly kept calling people who already had figured out their economics. Be it Moses, Abraham, whoever, David. Yeah. David wasn't coming from playing cards to go fight Goliath. He was taking care of a farm. Jeremiah, when he was in the court of the prison, in the king's prison court, he, even when he was a prisoner, he, he could buy land. He bought land in the city and even came, signed the contracts and they brought him that land title. A man in prison, Jeremiah the prophet. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. You could hear a pin drop here in the studio. Am I saying something wrong? That's why Jesus said that if you cannot be entrusted with unrighteous mammon, who will give to your trust the true riches? If money is ruling you, you shouldn't be ruling anything else. Yeah. If you are a servant of money, you cannot lead. We have seen it over and over again in our nations. How people who have failed to rule over money when they are given position, what they do. I have set you over the land of Egypt. Why? You understand economics. Do you know why Christians continue to be maligned in, in the affairs of this world and of our nation and what? We just make noise. We don't understand economics. As long as you don't understand and practice economic principles, no one is going to respect you. No one is going to put you over anything. GP, are you with me? Oh, yeah. Now there was no bread in all the land. The results. These are the results. Genesis 47, 13. Now there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very severe. So that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. I, people, they, we used to read together, but now even the readers have quit. And Joseph, what happened next? Verse, verse, verse 34, 14. At least let's read this together. And Joseph gathered up all the money. How much? All the money. I want you to say all with a certain uh, whatever. How much money? All the money he gathered it up. All the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. When scarcity came, those who had prepared with their 20% were getting richer. <laughs> While those who had eaten all the grain and even sold off the, the surplus to Pharaoh were getting poorer. In the times of economic stress, the well-informed, the well-prepared get wealthier. And the ill-informed and ill-prepared get poorer. We've seen it in the last two years. I, I, I also didn't know how you would react to this sermon. So we are, we, we are reacting together. We are, we are in this together. I don't know whether to cheer you up or to let you continue in that state. Maybe that repentance may happen. I don't know whether to sing a song or, or just keep going with the text. Because the way you're looking at me, you're making it look like I'm the problem. I neither wrote the text nor manage your finances. I'm just bringing the interpretation. How much of the money? All the money. You see, when you have it prepared and you hit 61 and you get out of active work, the first thing that goes is the cash. All the cash goes. These are liquid assets finished. 
all went to Pharaoh's house. Verse 15. <laughs> are you ready? <laughs> are, you, are you willing? Let's read. So when the money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, and all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us bread, for why should we die in your presence? For the money has failed. Then Joseph said, give your livestock, and I'll give you bread for your livestock if, you, if the money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the cattle, the herds, and for the donkeys. Thus he fed them with bread in exchange for all their livestock that year. Only year two of seven years. And now they've handed in the money. Now they have to hand in all the movable assets. All the livestock, all the movable assets. You know, in hit hard times, that car you used to drive around very fast and splashing people on water, you have to sell it. The, 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 the flat screen, gone. The subwoofer, gone. <laughs> You remember that joke of COVID? Man, <laughs> Guy was dying of hunger with his subwoofer. So I was like, man, if you have kawunga, give me, I give you my subwoofer. The woofer is gone. All the extra pairs of shoes, gone. You start, yeah. That nice set of seats, gone. You replace them with the ones from Zambia Road. You move from the swanky smartphone to... Yeah, movable assets are going. Cut on what horses. It's like, take, take, take. We need grain. Why do they need grain? Because they don't have cash flow producing assets. So they have to sell whatever they have to have something to eat. Either that or you start depending on your children and, their grand, and your grandchildren's resources. But even if you keep quiet, I'm going to finish this someone. Verse 18. Oba, you want us to stop here? Okay, when that year had ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, we will not hide from my Lord that our money is gone. My Lord also has our hearts of livestock. Now you are our hearts are they your hearts they are now Pharaoh's hearts but you know when you know when you are in delusion many people when economic realities come up they keep thinking that the past will come back my lord also has our flocks no they are not your flocks they are Pharaoh's flocks now there is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes? Both we and our land. Buy us and our land for bread. And we and our land will be servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die. And that the land may not be desolate. Then Joseph bought all the land. Say it together with me. All the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for every man of the Egyptians saw this field because the famine was severe upon them, so the land became Pharaoh's. Hmm. As for the people, he moved them into cities from one end of the borders of Egypt to the other. Only the land of the priests did not buy, for the priests had rations allotted to them by Pharaoh. And they ate their rations which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their lands. Next are the fixed assets. So all the money went. Then all the livestock. Now, all the land. What are they left with? Nothing. No, you, you are not left with yourself. When your land is taken, you are a slave. That's why I keep urging people in this church, buy land, otherwise, as long as you are landless, you, you, you are as good as a refugee in another country. Yeah, because if you're landless, can, let me give you the picture. 
If you have some land, if things become really, really, really hard, you go to that piece of land, build a grass-thatched hut, and start growing beans and maize to eat as you think about your next steps. If you don't have it, that option does not exist. That's why in this story, their land goes with their bodies. Buy us and our land. Because you can't buy our land if you don't buy us because our houses are on our land. If you're buying our land, you've bought us. We are now ready to work. It's reverse economics. It's like you got into the bank at entry level. You were a, a what? A tailor. You've gone through the ranks, head of department, what and now you're back to tailor. You are back to entry level job. Like, the muscles are ready. Just tell us what to do. Oh. That's why he moved them to the cities. All the things you see in the world today are in this story, including the idea that government owns all the land. And the idea of taxes that I'm about to reach. <laughs> all of that. It's come from this story. So your illusion of freedom is an illusion. You have an illusion of freedom until you fix your economics. Verse 23. Then Joseph said to the people, Indeed, I have bought you and your land this day for Pharaoh. Look, here is seed for you and you shall sow the land. And it shall come to pass in the harvest that you shall give one-fifth to Pharaoh taxation. <laughs> Are you seeing where it comes from? Four-fifths shall be your own as seed for the field and for your food. For those of your households as food for your little ones. So they said, you know when you, are, you don't deal with your economic situation, even when you are at a disadvantage, you have to be grateful. So they said, you have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord and we'll be Pharaoh's servants. Why do you think employment is such a big deal? And Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt to this day that Pharaoh should have one-fifth except for the land of the priests only, which did not become pharaohs. That's why they don't tax churches. Everything is in that story. <laughs> Everything is in that story. So you're either moving forward by saving and investing your 20%, or you're moving backwards. The closer you get to old age, the, the, you're preparing for calamity. Gloria Copeland said that some people leave wills, others leave bills. Which one will you be? Have you understood? It's simple. Save and invest 20%. And you're sorted. You can now believe God for your 100 years for your 120, because there will be resources to sustain you. You know when you're old, eh? Those days, those ends of 80, what, what? You need to have your air-conditioned, chauffeur-driven, limousine. You go where you want, the grandkids invite you. Yeah, yeah, we have sports today. We have music, what? You show up, you cheer them on. What? That's not the time to be, bother, bother, help me, what? You're trying your safe border up at 85. And it's raining. At that age, yeah, you need to have serious money.
Do you understand? Yeah. When do you start preparing? Now. Now. You start saving 20% now and investing it. You get into Harvest Smart Purpose Cooperative or wherever. Start investing now. 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 Because old age is not optional if you are going to stay around. <laughs> yeah, if you're going to stick around, old age is not optional. Yeah. You better have cash. Have you understood the economic story? All right. Amen, amen, amen. Hey. Why don't we stand and pray together? Thank you, Father, for your goodness. Thank you for your wisdom that you're revealing to us about things to come. Just the same way you gave Pharaoh, an unrighteous man, a dream to warn him, for us you love us and you're giving us this teaching to prepare us, to prepare our children, to prepare our children's children, that will build nations, that will not be a nation that ceases to exist because we didn't take care of our personal financial issues. I'm praying for wisdom right now, Lord, among your children, among your people, that there will be wisdom, that this wisdom will help them prepare. Because it's not about us individually, it's about us as a nation, about us as a people. We bless you, we thank you. Thank you for your word this morning. And friends, the most important thing you can do, all these investments have a limit. Because even at 100, you'll go to, you'll die. And now it's time to decide where you're going. God has given us through his son, Jesus Christ, eternal life that goes beyond what we are discussing this morning. And if you are watching me, if you're listening to me, either in the room or online, on radio, on TV, and you are not 100% sure that you possess eternal life, that you have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to put your hand up wherever you are, your right hand, wherever you are. I want to pray with you so that you can receive Christ this morning. Yes, in all the places, in all the places. Yes, I've seen that hand at the back, thank you. More people, we are waiting on you. Just put your hand up straight, just put it straight. In, at your location, people at the locations, if you are not born again, put your hand up right now. This is the moment, this is the time in that hosting center, at home, alone, in the bedroom, in the sitting room, wherever you are, I know there are many, many, many of you who need to make this decision this morning. Even here in the room, we are willing to wait on you a little bit longer. We are going to wait on you a little bit longer if you haven't yet made that decision. Straight hand up, straight hand up, straight hand up. Someone will walk to you. Someone will walk to where you are. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Straight right hand up. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your salvation that takes care of things beyond here. We bless you. Thank you, Lord. Glory to your name, Jesus. Just pray this prayer after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I receive your life. Today, I come to you as a child. Accept me and give me eternal life. I bless you. Thank you for forgiving me. My sins are forgiven. I have a new life and I rejoice in you. Amen. If you pray that prayer, I want you to know that you are born again and that you have access to a new life in God our Father. There's a number 0775-642-449. It's running on your screen if you're on radio. It's 0775-642-449. Please text that number. There's a pastor on the other end of that line to pray with you to show you the next steps you should take. Amen. Our, our people who have got born again this morning in the room, please stay behind. All the people who are reaching out to you would like to contact you. 
and to spend some time with you. Our first time guests at all the locations, someone is going to show you where they are going to take you and give you some VIP treatment because you're very important people. Thank you for coming here at Worship of Esnalia. Uh, it is right to, uh, on my right, there's a door, you walk straight, you will not miss the VIP place. And there will be, who's going to be there? Pastor Vasta is going to be there with other people. Right? Yeah. So she's all, almost at that door. So you just go this way. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you're sick in any part of your body, I'm going to pray for, for healing right now. Amen. I told you God is performing miracles. We've seen mighty works, mighty wonders, mighty healings for, for many, many, many Sundays. Amen. The other day we got to meet a friend of ours who got healed from stroke and started running at a hosting center. Now goes to a location. Amen. So, amen. I'm just going to pray. Wherever you are, even online, even in the locations, thank you, Father, for your healing power that's available through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You're at work even now, even now, even here. So we expel sickness, every kind of sickness that seeks to lodge in our bodies, in our organs, on our skins, in our hearts, in our emotional parts. I expel you sickness. Be gone in the name of Jesus. And we declare total health and healing. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching. We hope that you've been blessed by the Worship Harvest Sermon Series. For more teachings and other resources, visit www.worshipharvest.org or call 0393-281-555. That is 0393-281-555.